0: Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of 1 Samuel. Today, we're concentrating on chapter 3, 1 Samuel chapter 3. Here's the key concept this morning. Learn to listen to God. Learn to listen to God. As you're turning to 1 Samuel chapter 3, I hope you're reading through the book of 1 Samuel in these weeks as we're going to spend some time here and and I hope you're reading through your companion commentary that's uh, you can you can purchase out in the foyer today because as you do those two things you'll you'll see some of the background information and you'll get a glimpse of the overall uh, story that's in 1 Samuel and you'll come to learn that really uh, the primary history that the author of 1 Samuel deals with has to do with the first two kings of Israel. The majority of the words in 1 Samuel have to do with Saul and King David. But the author spends no time on the birth narratives of those men. Rather, he begins the history with the birth of the man who will anoint those two kings in times to come, a man nurtured and reared in the service of God, Samuel. Samuel. Two weeks ago, we noted Samuel's birth. We noted that Samuel's mother, Hannah, was at a dark and depressed place in her life as she was afraid that she would never have children. And in a moment of grief, she prayed to God that she would have a child. She prayed over and over again. But the moment that we were featuring was a time when she was praying in front of the tabernacle in Shiloh in a dark place in her life. But blessing came from that dark place because if she, not, if she had not been there emotionally, she would not have prayed that desperate prayer. And in that desperate prayer, she would not have made that desperate promise that if God would give her a son, he would be dedicated to the service of the Lord his whole life. But she did pray that prayer. She did make that promise. And Samuel was born approximately 1100 years prior to the birth of Jesus. And as she promised, once he is weaned, he comes to live with Eli the priest. Now most of, or I should say much of chapter two is Hannah's song of praise and this prayer to God in celebration for the fact that she had this son and able to dedicate him to the Lord but uh, and it comes from the lips of Hannah in chapter 2. But by the time we get to verse 12 of chapter 2, we get a hint of the drama that's yet to come. So let's look at chapter 2, verse 12. It says, Eli's sons were wicked men. They had no regard for the Lord. And that might shock you, but what might shock you even more was his sons were both priests. And they were active in the role of priests. They were actively serving the Lord that they had no regard for. Now, from time to time, we uh, hear about scandals among the clergy. And it always is a sad thing and it's a troubling thing. And, and uh, th- that, that kind of thing that happens, but it breaks our heart. But here, way back here, more than 3,000 years ago, it's happening. Those who are supposed to be servants of the Lord have no regard for the Lord. But by contrast, little Samuel does have regard for the Lord. In fact, he, he loves the Lord. And the contrast is illustrated in chapter 2, verse 25, when Eli is pleading with his sons to shape up, and this is what we read there, his sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with men. Regarding Eli's sons, See, the time has come. A line has been crossed. It's already too late for them to repent. God has decided they have gone too far, and the chance for repentance is gone. And this is the teaching point for us. And the teaching point is simple, and sometimes I remind you of it, and it is time runs out. Time runs out. God will not strive with us forever. And he, he says to the sons of Eli, the time has run out. But by contrast, little Samuel is described with the very same words that Luke uses in chapter, in, in the gospel of Luke to describe Jesus, that he's growing in stature and in favor with God and man. You see, God will not be without a champion. If someone who seems to be well positioned, just in the right place, who seems to be groomed to be that uh, that champion, if that person refuses to step up, God is never caught off guard. He's never without a plan, and God's plan here is to use Samuel. But before he uses Samuel, he's got to get Samuel's attention. And that's what we're talking about in chapter 3. I'm reminded of a story that comes from the days way back when the telegraph was the fastest way to communicate. Uh, a young man went to a, a telegraph office to apply for a job as a Morse code operator. You know, one of those guys who taps out the Morse code, and he was answering an ad in the newspaper, and he went into this busy office with a lot of machines happening, and Morse code being tapped out here and there, and he, there was a lobby. Other men were there also applying for the job, and there was a a paper on the on the uh, desk there, and it said, "Sign in your name and wait to be called for an interview." And so that's what he did. He signed in his name. He sat down with the other men, waiting to be called in for an interview. When no sooner a few minutes went by, he jumped to his feet and he went into the office. Now the other men. Who had been waiting there were thinking to themselves, who's this guy thinking he can jump the line like that? And they were sure that he was just being pushy, being selfish, and, and uh, soon he would be told to go back out and wait with everybody else. But as they watched, lo and behold, he's talking to the manager. And in a few minutes later, he and the manager come into the lobby, and the manager announces, you can all go. The job has been filled. And they were like, that's not fair. We've been waiting here. He, he came in last, and we've been waiting here to get an interview. And the manager said this, I'm sorry, but all the time you've been waiting in the lobby here, the Morse code in, in the office has been tapping out the message. If you understand this, come right in. The job is yours. And none of you understood it. He tuned in. Little Samuel's got to tune in to the Lord and here we'll see how he learns to listen. Samuel, as we pick up the story by now, is an older boy, maybe a teenager, living and working in the tabernacle in Shiloh. And during the night, Samuel hears his name being called. Now, initially, he thinks it's Eli calling him in, in the night and he goes and, and comes to Eli's bed to, to see if he, what, he, what he wants. It happens three times and each time Eli sends him back. We're gonna pick up the story on the third time, okay? So verse eight of chapter three, it says, the Lord called Samuel a third time and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place, and the Lord came and stood there, calling, as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. One day, this boy will be the spokesman of God to the nation. He will become both the high priest and the primary prophet for the people. But everyone has to start someplace. You don't start in those positions of honor. You start just by listening to what God has for you. And here Samuel is learning. And Samuel is living in the time of the judges, in a time when there was not prophecies being made and the voice of the Lord was not being heard. And the voice of the Lord was not being heard because there was not a lot of listening going on among the people. And there's an application point for us. We need to be ready to listen to God if we would expect Him to speak to us. Because God will not force His way into our lives, He will not force His way into our culture. And readiness calls for a stillness of soul, an openness of heart, an expectancy to tune in to God. We are often too distracted, we are often too distant. Have you ever been on a road trip and uh, driving long distance and you tune into a radio station that you want to listen to, but as you travel, the radio station gets uh, fainter and fainter and fainter because you're getting farther and farther from the source? The same can be true in our connection to the Almighty. At times, we live far away from Him or we put up barriers that will stifle His voice and the barriers might be rebellion or maybe simply distance because we continually make choices that leave Him out. And as we do so, we drift farther away. But this night in Samuel's life, God breaks through. And in the stillness of the pre-dawn early morning, God speaks His name. And when Samuel responds correctly, speak, your servant is listening. Not only does he speak, he stands there. The indication in the passage is there's some sort of physical manifestation of God there with Samuel. The author doesn't go into the details. But Samuel encounters the Lord because he was listening. So the question becomes for us, how does God speak to us today? We are those who, who want to to hear what God has to say to us, but how does He speak? There are a few ways that we need to recognize. The first, the primary and the unchanging and the infallible way He speaks to us is through His voice in His Word. The Word of God that does not change. Uh, Psalm 119, 105, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. In the Word of God, we see principles for right living that God tells us in the Word of God we get guidance for spiritual understanding we get direction for moral conduct we need to be people of the Word if we are followers of Jesus Christ is there a time in your day when you set aside quiet time to be in the Word of God and allow the Word of God to, to teach you we need to be readers of the Word of God because this is the primary way that he speaks make an appointment each day to be with God. I'll tell you something, in my life, nothing happens in my life if I don't have an appointment to make it happen. If I think that just somehow it'll just, I'll just get to it, that I'll just get, get it accomplished, doesn't work that way. I need to plan in order to make things happen that are important to me. And reading the Word of God is important. Make an appointment to to be there. Some of you use our daily devotional uh, booklet and they're available out there in a foyer to you today. As you do that, you read a small little paragraph, but up on top there's always a verse. Don't just read that verse. Read the chapter that that verse comes from and get the surroundings and the context so that you are able to pull out of the word of God what he has for you because that's his primary way of speaking to us but there's also the the voice of the Spirit that comes along with the reading of the Word of God, the voice of urging that comes as the Spirit speaks to our heart. I think of that time in in Luke chapter 24 when Jesus is now back, uh, raised from the dead, and he's walking with the men from Emmaus, and they're they're amazed at what he uh, he, uh, seems to not know what's going on in the city of Jerusalem, and finally they fellowship with him, and they reflect on that conversation when he reveals himself to them, and they say this in verse 32, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road? and opened the Scriptures to us. See, they were in the very presence of Jesus, and when he communicated with them, their hearts responded with an urgency. Our hearts were burning within us. And you live with the Holy Spirit dwelling within you if you know Christ as personal Savior. And as you spend time in the Word, there will be an urgency. The Spirit will speak to your heart saying, you need to pay attention to that. You need to, you need to put that to work in your life. Because it's not just all here it's got to be here as well these are the primary ways that, that 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 God speaks to us today he brings conviction he brings guidance a thought will burn in our minds and hearts as we're in the Word of God but there are secondary ways that God speaks to us as well one of those secondary ways is through your conscience your conscience, the Spirit empowering those things that we know are right and wrong. In Romans, Paul says this, chapter 9, verse 1, I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. Don't shut the voice of your conscience. Don't consider that to be old-fashioned or childish or, or out, of, uh, out of fashion. Right and wrong it's burned in our conscience. Now, that's not infallible. Sometimes uh, we we are uh, we don't get exactly the way we should evaluate things and that's why we need to bring even that secondary way God speaks to us to the primary way and confirm it with the with the, the word of God but he uses that voice of conscience within us also he uses the voice of teachers and preachers and godly friends to speak the message that He knows we need to hear. Ephesians 4 says this, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. I call these secondary uh, communications. Teachers, preachers, and godly friends. Secondary, why? Because teachers and preachers are not infallible. Because teachers and preachers make mistakes and sometimes get things wrong. but So you always must take what you hear and the conversations you have and bring it back to the Word of God. But as it is confirmed by the Word of God, you can hear the voice of God, prayerful advice from godly friends. All these things are carrier waves that bring the message of God that we need to listen to. That's why fellowship. That's why worship. That's why being in Bible study together. Why all that is important. But notice what's going on here in Samuel's life. In Samuel's situation, he actually hears the voice of God in his bedroom. God is actually calling out to him and speaking to him. And the natural question becomes, does God still do it that way? Can God still do it that way? Boy, it'd be great if all of a sudden the voice of God booming out, telling me what to do in my day when I was sitting, sitting at breakfast. That'd be great, right? Kind of, okay, got, got it. It'd be certain. But if I were to poll the congregation here, I would venture to say that most of us have never had an experience like that. I can tell you truly, I have never had an experience like that. I have never heard an audible voice that I recognized was the voice of God. Can God still do that? Let me tell you this. Over my years of walking with the Lord, this is what I've learned. Unless you're talking about sin or nonsense, never start a sentence with God can't. Unless you're talking about sin or nonsense, never start a sentence with God can't. He can do whatever He wishes. And should He wish to, he certainly can. Here, he's speaking to Samuel with an audible voice. And not only is he speaking to Samuel audibly, he's speaking to Samuel persistently. He doesn't give up. He calls out, Samuel gets it wrong. Calls out again, Samuel gets it wrong. Calls out again, Samuel gets it wrong. But finally, in his persistence, Samuel learns to listen to God. God gives us second chances. He gives us third chances, and he keeps calling to us when we are soft of heart. But when we come to him with this idea that we will only listen to what we want to hear and do what we've planned in advance, and we're, all we're looking for from him is confirmation of our plans, we have a problem. We need to be soft of heart. And what was the message that Samuel heard? Well, it really was a message for Eli. And God gave it to Samuel because it wasn't just information. It was a change in the way that God is operating and who he's talking to. And the message is that judgment was coming to Eli's family. And it's coming due to the sins of Eli's sons and even Eli himself. Go to verse 12 of chapter 3. It says, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from the beginning to the end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin uh, he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible, and he failed to restrain them. Hophni and Phinehas are a disgrace to the ministry. They have demonstrated selfish abuse of power. They have demanded meat that was meant for the sacrifice for their own use. And as if that was not enough, they have engaged in the sexual abuse of women in the place of worship. Back in chapter 2, verse 22, it says, "...they slept with women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting." Evidently, there were women who were assisting worshipers. We don't exactly know what their role was, but Eli's sons were either seducing them or demanding sexual favors, and these were terrible sins. And even Eli, God says in chapter 3, verse 13, he failed to restrain them. Parents and grandparents pay attention to that sentence because it is important for parents to truly parent and not just allow kids to go wild. God holds parents responsible not to give up on the discipline of their children. Chuck Swindoll, commenting on this passage, reminds us that there are warning signs that families need to pay attention to, and one of the warning signs are preoccupied parents. Eli was a preoccupied parent. He was busy, busy in public ministry, busy doing good things, successful at it. But while he was successful there, he was failing at home. Even when he was physically there, he probably wasn't mentally there. Preoccupied parents do not notice the signs of habits forming in their kids that need to be stopped. Preoccupied parents don't notice attitudes solidifying that need to be addressed. Preoccupied parents say things like, oh, it's just a phase, it's no big deal. And they say that it's hard work to parent children. It's hard work to draw and enforce boundaries, but we must do it. A preoccupied parent doesn't do it. Also, parents in denial, it's a warning sign. Denial of the fact that their kids need to be disciplined. Proverbs 19.18 is very blunt in the New Living Translation. Discipline your children while there is hope. If you don't, you will ruin their lives. Speaking to parents, you will ruin their life. This is the not my kid syndrome kind of parent in denial. When bad grade comes, from, comes to home from the st- uh, school, they believe the story. My teacher hates me. That's why I have this grade. They believe the ex- uh, conspiracy theory excuses. Everybody else is wrong. Everybody's out to get me. And soon they're rationalizing away their ch- child's bad behavior. Well-meaning teachers, well-meaning school counselors or Sunday school teachers or youth leaders call and try to raise the issue, and they're met with the stiff-arm resistance of wounded pride. Parents in denial, problems don't solve themselves. And problems get bigger, not smaller, as children grow older. We need to be involved and have a disciplined attitude uh, for, our ch- for our children instill in them respect and obedience. If not, flagrant sin is at the door. And Eli did none of these things. We learn from his negative example. The spiritual shepherd for the nation did not shepherd his own family. We need to shepherd our children, to teach them reverence for God, reverence for the things of God, reverence for the house of God. We need to pray for our children so that we are interceding for them, that God may bless and encourage and lead and guide them. We need to urge them to come to a personal faith in Jesus Christ because children are the most vulnerable people in the world. They need to be loved, they need to be cuddled, but they also need to be guided and they need to be disciplined. And this chapter tells us that for Eli and his family, it was too late to correct his sons. But it's not too late for our families, for our kids and for our grandkids. Proverbs 29:17 says, Discipline your son and he will give you peace. He will bring delight to your soul. Parents and grandparents, heed these words. And as we step away from the life of Samuel for today, at the later portions of chapter 3, we see a wonderful summary of what's coming for this young man who this night learned to tune in to God. Look at verse 19. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. That's what's coming Because Samuel learned to listen. From Dan in the far north to Beersheba in the far south, entire nation understood that this was the Lord's champion. The sons of Eli are rejected. Samuel is stepping on stage because God is never without a champion. I hope we are God's champions in our age. Let's pray today. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you understand us, you see us, you want to use us. You speak to us and you give us guidance and direction and you speak through us to a culture that needs to hear your word. Lord, we pray that we would be the champions that you would use here and now. Champions for our families, for our children, for our grandchildren, nieces and nephews. We pray that we would be the champions for our friends and our places of business and that we would champion your cause using Your words to relay Your message, because it is the message of hope. We cling to it, and we love You. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.